board. Hey, what's up, everybody? You're listening to Cannabis Karaoke, where we ask you to grab the mic and tell your story. Get inside info from today's most interesting cannabis pioneers, and from the first note to the end of the song, listen up as you get to hear the stories of success on Cannabis Karaoke. We're recording. So welcome to another episode of Cannabis Karaoke. I'm your host, Danny Keith. And uh, we've been doing an audio version of this podcast. And with COVID-19 and everything that's starting to happen these days, uh, we thought we'd take a shot at doing it on Zoom and sending on over to our Twitch. So if you're watching us right now on Twitch, I appreciate that. Good to see you. We have a chat room there. You can uh, throw up questions and I can ask Paula, our guest, as I will introduce her right now. Her name is Paula Walter. She is the founder, Walt, Walter or Walters? Walter. Walter, yes. Um, she's the founder of Kind Creations. It's a, it's a business that's been around for quite some time, actually. And they haul her out of Santa Cruz, California, which is, if you know how hard it is to do business in the cannabis space, and then you kind of like periscope into the Santa Cruz area, you got to make sure your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted because Santa Cruz County is definitely on it. So welcome to the show. I really appreciate you doing this with us. It's our uh, first real Zoom event on Cannabis Karaoke. And uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. You know, we talked a little bit on the phone um, before we decided to do this interview and your history and your past and like why you've come into what you are doing with uh, your brand. Tell us a little bit about the passion behind the, you know, when you decided to jump into the cannabis space, what kind of triggered you? I have all these notes, but I want you to kind of go ahead and share that with us. My mom and my stepdad were AIDS educators during the late 80s and early 90s, and I watched 300 of their friends and our family die. Um, some were able to use cannabis, some were not. It, it was pre-215, so people were really guilty that we're using it underground, and it just wasn't uh, what I had hoped for. So when in, in 2000, uh, when 215 came into being, I was a trimmer like everyone else. I started making cookies for my dogs, mm -hmm. uh, started helping people with different health concerns, and eventually in 2008, I started uh, Kind Medicine at that point, now Kind Creations. And we started making Kind Caps, Kind Rub, Kind Drops, and started a, a, a business uh, out of the 215 space that was just really to help people. So we started just giving it away to anybody in need. And then it, it became a point where it was just too many people. So we had to find some income source to be able to help us continue helping patients. So we started taking donations from dispensaries in 2008. Wow. And, and you really are, I mean, it, it's not, I don't want to fast forward too far, but you really are focused on the medical and the medicated side and helping patients. And uh, tell us a little bit about the product offering that you guys have that, that accomplishes that. Well, we use no solvents, no machines, no extracts, no distillates, no CO2. Nothing. We just use a low heat infusion with uh, high fats, uh, organic coconut oil, organic olive oil, infusing cannabis directly into that. And from that base, we make our other products. So everything's made just the natural, traditional herbalist way. Really whole plant style. 
Absolutely. We are as green as green can get. And tell us a little bit about like why you feel like that's the best methodology. Well, you're not splitting the atom, so to speak. You know, everything stays in. You don't have to add terpenes. The terpenes are in the plant. Whatever is in the plant goes directly into the oil. So we don't lose any of the residual uh, cannabinoids that we haven't yet researched or even know about yet. They're all in there. So when we go and find the next 200 cannabinoids, we will already have them in our kind products. Right, because as, as it went from Prop 215 to Prop 64, you know, we talked about this as well. Prop 215 was a little bit of a blessing in the sense that it let the industry expand. It let, you know, products really come out, not to the level that we have now. But when we went into Prop 64, they instituted all this testing. And so before the Prop 64 went in, and I mean, were you testing your product before that? Like, how was that working out? Absolutely. We've tested since the very beginning. Uh, we test three times before it ever goes to market. So the first time we, uh, since the beginning, we, we test the first batch that comes in to make sure everything's clean, no pesticides, you know, nothing that would cause any trouble, no mold, no mildew, no anything. That's the first thing. And then we, we get potency as well with that. So then we make our products, we send it back again to make sure that we're correct on the potency. And then we now send it to the distributor that does the third and final test. So how did, when, when Prop 64 came along, how much did it have to change what you were doing? Did you guys kind of... We didn't have to change anything except for sending our product to the distributor. And, and basically learning the packaging and all those challenges, right? Oh, yes. Sending the labels in and having uh, $30,000 with the labels come back and finding out the wrong code was used or the wrong color was used. It's, it's been quite a fight to keep up with the regulations and still trying to uh, be patient focused. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, everything that we've been talking about has this underlying tone that I'm going to now bring forward, which is, you know, a lot of brands that have been around, you know, a lot of short time brands, right? Like uh, brands that were here during 215 that not a lot of them were able to cross over to 64 or they had to take significant investments or they were purchased by somebody or they went out of business. I mean, it, not a lot of people were prepared to go from, pre-64 to post-64 world. That's why I asked, like, how much did you have to change? Because I watched significant brands who I thought had it all together end up going out of business or not having products on the shelves for six to 12 months as they kind of figured out packaging. And to your point, like, you, I have friends that spent thousands and thousands of dollars on packaging and labels and to the point where some of them just purchased their own label maker because they were able, if they had a mistake, they could just reprint and not the, 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 there was two pain points in that situation. One, the cost of the labels that they were going to have to absorb, but two, the product not getting to the shelf, right? Like that product sitting there waiting for the new labels that come through. Um, you know, Absolutely. you're, you're, you're kind of a unicorn in the sense that you've made it through like what I would consider these gauntlets in time that have taken place in the cannabis space. What, how did you persevere through those things? Cause there had to be moments where you were wondering if, if you were going to be able to pull it and you've always been to your own, you know, kind of assertions that you've always been one of those brands that people were buying because of the quality of that brand, but you're ready to go to the next step. You're ready to kind of get more uh, distribution. You're ready to sell more product. 
how did you make it through all those gauntlets? Because like I said, a lot of people that had a lot of money and a lot of legal help didn't do that. Like what was your trick or how did you, how did you make that work? Karma. <laughs> I say a lot of it had to do with karma, had to do with all the, all the medicine we gave away and the people that um, needed the medicine, staying focused on them, having uh, our wonderful legal team. Uh, Trevor Luxton has been with us for years. When Robin Bolster Grant joined the legal team of Rice and Luxton, that really helped us a lot. She had been our former cannabis licensing officer, and she knew what we were about. Uh, she was she's been very helpful with the county to have them understand that we are a brand that's not money focused, that we are patient focused. We make suppositories for children. We started making kind drops to help people uh, be able to get medicine down feeding tubes and some of the children and, and dying adults. Um, so we've always been a little bit different. So I think because of that, uh, the karma and, and the good work of our lawyers and just the wonderful team I have around me is what made us get through. If it wasn't for that, I don't think we would be sitting here talking today. So it really was your connections in the space and, and the industry really, we, I talk about this with other people all the time and it's kind of, you know, as we're going through this pandemic period where some of these businesses are starting to fall, some of the bigger ones, I mean, like Canopy Growth has now announced that they're pulling back all their grows in three different countries. You know, Aurora is like about the same price as the price of barrel of oil. Actually, barrels of oil have come back since we've last spoken. But um, a lot of these money-driven brands, and let's face it, you know, I know money helps make things happen, right? Like you can, sure. I've always had to have this association with money is it's a currency by which like most people trade in, but I have other currencies, karma, happiness, love, friendship. Um, those are all currencies we trade in. Those currencies don't pay the bills, but you got to have some money. But here we are, we had all these people that had all this capital and because they didn't necessarily, they were looking to make a butt, buck, the karma button got pushed. And I feel like people like yourself who have made it through, the biggest challenge you're going to have is embracing the fact that capital is not a necessary evil. You're now moving into that phase of looking at investments and trying to go to the next stage which I feel right now you couldn't be in a better time to do that because if you were here in this space, definitely after this pandemic has hit, you've somehow you've either dropped or you've excelled, right? And so as you move into that capital raising period of your company, how does that make you feel? Like, are you feeling okay about that? Or is that something that you're struggling with? Uh, the money is always difficult for me. I'm not going to lie. You know, uh, for me, even taking donations, I've never taken a dollar from any individual patient. Uh, only dispensaries have paid us and supported us through the years. And of course, patients paid them. But through the years, all of our patients, uh, our uh, 215 patients, no one ever paid. It was a completely free, compassionate program. So I struggle a little bit with that, how expensive things are for the patient. I'm really excited that we now have compassion is, is allowed again and uh, KIND is working with um, some dispensaries to try to figure out how we can bring those programs back to the patients. But I do have a wonderful team and um, my new CFO, COO, and my VP of sales, which you know, Brian. Brian's actually been killing it during the pandemic. Uh, because of our health focus on what we do, uh, having nothing that can affect your lungs, nothing that would help 
have any problem with immunity, we are actually increasing sales and having new dispensaries come on in the middle of a pandemic, which I have to say is just, it's weird, but it's always the way kind has been. You know, up to, two, eight, uh, to 2018, everybody called us. I never had salesmen, we just word of mouth. And we're able to go from 50, you know, 50 buck investment to a million dollars to 18. And um, I, I'd say we're very blessed to be in a position that we are a health focused, medically driven products in a time of a pandemic. So we kind of gotten lucky. Well, I think uh, maybe back to the karma component, it, it puts you in the right place at the right time. And, and, you know, what I've found with capital is it's, it's just a vehicle to grow, right? Like you still have to, you can still maintain your same values. You can still maintain that same compassion. And really, you know, ironically, you know, I, I try to counsel a lot of people outside of, you know, doing interviews or whatever, you know, we talked about this a little bit as well, where people are struggling right now, both mentally, financially, some yeah. people physically, uh, you know, but I think during time, like I believe very much in the balance of life and everything has a yen and a yang to it. And, and one of the biggest yen to yang examples I like to always point out is that, you know, when the pandemic hit and the, and the powers that be were deciding which businesses were essential and which businesses were not essential, you know, we've always operated in 64 uh, and other states is like, okay, we got our blessing. Here we go. But you always felt like it was with this, like, regret or reserve from the from the people that were in power because it was like all right we let it happen because it got voted in and we'll tolerate it and we'll tax it and we'll police it and that's about it right but then it had to it had to make that decision like is it essential and stay open or is it non-essential and can close and there were some counties throughout california and really if if California does something, the rest of the country kind of follows along, whether they admit it or not, there's some lockstep that takes place. I saw that initial battling going down in San Francisco and San Jose and Santa Cruz for that matter. And even down in LA of that difference between essential versus non-essential. And when they deemed cannabis essential, it, it, it was so impactful. I think it was one of those silent acknowledgements that that we in the industry saw and cheered and revered because now that can't be taken away. And I think that we'll see, you know, when we went recreational, a lot of medicinal patients fell off. A lot of people getting their cards fell off because you have your cards, you get medicine a little cheaper. The dispensary can give out more product to that person. And now all of a sudden we're seeing kind of that resurgence of people. We brought all these new customers to the table through recreation. Some of them found the plant to be medicinal. And then we're really needing that plant once things went into an essential versus non-essential state. And now some of these counties are going, okay, we'll make you essential, like, but you're going to have to be medicinal. And so like, there's this force back to Prop 215 days, which in your product line is where most of those customers are going to, like most customers that are recreational are going to go into the illicit market. They're, they're just not going to deal with getting a medicinal card. They'll just be like, screw the dispensary. I'm going to buy my weed from my friend down the street like I did before. When you're now in this essential component and you're seeing a rise in sales during a time when most people are, are struggling financially, does that help you guys to raise money? I, I mean, are you taking advantage of this period of time? Because I'm still seeing deals getting done in the space. It seems like you guys will be primed for that. Yes, I think we are. 
we're definitely working with investors as we speak right now. Uh, I can't say that it hasn't slowed contracts down. You know, people want to make sure that they're taken care of before they invest in even essential products such as ours. But I see a future, absolutely, much more now than I have maybe a year ago. I've seen, I really see this pandemic and people's focus on health and people starting to understand that we're essential. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Just because someone doesn't have a card does not mean that they're not medical. Oh, for sure. They're self-medicating. Most of the people that go in their dispensaries are self-medicating anyway. Right. They just don't understand the difference between being a patient. It's, it's kind of like the service dog thing where people are worried if they're, they, they want to make, you know, there should be these specifications to make sure that you're a patient and you're the right person to have it. But it's a plant that all of us should have access to. It's, it, it's health-driven. It's good for your well-being. It's good for whatever ails you, if it works for you. Kind of like uh, chamomile tea. I mean, it's funny we, you say medicated because I've been, I've been partaking on the plant since I was, you know, in my teens. And, you know, we, I laugh because, you know, I, inadvertently, cannabis has been a part of my life for my whole life. I've, you know, I've sold pounds. I've got, you know... <laughs> it kind of was synonymous with the surf industry and everything else. And, you know, back then we had the nose, like I'm talking just mainly flower at the moment, you know, like your nose, but it's funny, those terps, those, that smell, it's kind of like food, right? Like if you smell certain food, you get hungry. Same thing with cannabis. You smell certain cannabis, you get hungry for it. Right. And so we didn't realize that even though we were smoking weed to get high and like have fun and think we're liberating and anarchy and we're against the man or whatever we were doing. Um, in reality, we were medicating ourselves without realizing we were medicating ourselves. And now as we've moved into this space and, and myself included, I, here I am a 30 plus year cannabis user. But when it comes to stuff like what you're creating or, you know, I'm finding myself smoking less flour mm -hmm. and taking more tinctures and taking more pro tabs and looking at things, CBD, like looking at more from like, okay, I have this condition. I've realized now that I'm, I have anxiety at times. It doesn't really paralyze me, but it makes me work differently. Um, and I've also noticed I'm completely like too full of energy and need to calm down and stop the brain from thinking a little bit. As you guys are making products and expanding your categories, like I'm assuming that's part of the investment is that you want to broaden your offering to people what are the, how are you composing product to specific things not necessarily super specific but just like to calm people down or to help with sleep or to help with nausea like how does how do you go about that in your company well for us uh having had cbd for almost 10 years now uh we were one of the first cbd pills in california in fact uh the lab called us and was like, wow, you have the first CBD pill uh, like 10 years ago, and it was three milligrams CBD, 20 milligrams THC. So wow. it was CBD-ish. Was it at the 15 to 1, right? Or no, you said three, 10 to 1, sounds like. Yeah, it wasn't even a 10 to 1. It was like, it was like a, I don't know, maybe a, it was a, uh, like 7 to 1. Okay. But on the other side, heavy THC. Sure. It was one of the most popular uh, brands. And then we ended up getting uh, uh, contacted with a farmer that grew Blue Jay that was a two-to-one. 
So our first CBD was a two-to-one, which is my favorite for anxiety, my favorite for sleep. We use, um, we formulate everything now so we can make a CBD with a sativa bent or an indica bent uh, or a hybrid, you know, of any ratio that you would want. And that's one of the things going forward. Our drops are dosed at one milligram a drop. So you can really microdose. Say you wanted two milligrams of indica and 20 milligrams of CBD, you can dose yourself to that level. And so how, does, how does somebody know, like, I mean, is it, because everybody's body is different when they process it. Like, so how do you, like, obviously you start off telling people, you know, I don't know how big your pipette, your pipette on a, on a droplet, probably one milligram, like you said, like, what's a preferred dose to use for your guys? I recommend five drops to start a very small dose. If you have, if you're using cannabis, the one thing with a whole plant is the bioavailability is much higher. Sure. So if, if you were taking say another capsule that was a CO2 or an alkylate, distillate, isolate, things like that, you might have to take 60 or hundred milligrams versus our 30 for our cap. So we ask people to really start small. So instead of recommending 10 milligrams, which is a standard recreational dose, we start at five. Yeah. You know, we've had people at five milligrams have it feel like 20 or 30 of another product. So we do recommend going, starting slow and, and going slow. It's funny that you mentioned that, um, the hat I was wearing, Brian and I were having a conversation about it. It's it stands for Hiroshima and I went to Japan. My mother-in-law's mother passed away. So we had a service over there and um, you know, you can't at that time, it really wasn't too smart to bring smokable cannabis to Japan. So I took capsules over. And when I went in, I really have never done edibles that much. I've always either smoked flour, dab done, you know, bubble hash, something to that effect. And, and so I asked my guy, I said, Hey, you know, and I'm in and out of dispensaries so much. So I have one here in town that I would go to. And I asked him, I said, Hey, I'm going to go to Japan. You know, I would, uh, I, I would like to take like a capsule. What do you think I should do? And he's like, Oh man, you have such a high tolerance. You should, you can do these 50 milligram capsules. And I was like, okay. And me being the guy that I am, I took two of them. Right. So I took a hundred milligram capsule. Uh, and it was all THC. I felt like my face was going to melt off. Like it, <laughs> saw pictures of me. I was like falling asleep in the dinner. I couldn't stay focused. So it's super important. Even people that are like seasoned cannabis users to start off on a microdose level to find out. Cause the worst thing I didn't have a bad trip or anything, but I was not functional, you know? And so you don't want to be non-functional right out of the gate, especially some of these people that have never used the product before, because if, if they end up going non-functional, it just scares the hell out of them, you know? Yes, I think that's really important because you get heart palpitations. I remember people calling me on the phone and they're very distressed and they're like, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And I'm like, you're breathing well, you know, you're just panicking. Right. Now I recommend drink some milk, calm down. Put your you can always do a little CBD, to, just straight CBD to count. That was before we knew that. This I know, right? Early days. Now you can say, that's what I recommend. You know, if you're looking for sleep, it'd be great to, to grab a bottle of a 20 to 1 uh, kind drop and an indica or sativa, and you can dose yourself milligram at a time. That's what I recommend. Or we have pills that are larger, and you can go ahead and cut those into pieces because of all our products products are homogenized. So you can cut a, a pill and know a quarter of it is actually a quarter of it. 
There's not, the THC isn't hidden on the other left side of the capsule. It's homogenized throughout all the products. Which was a big problem for some of the edible companies because they couldn't get their doses. Like, you know, we went from Prop 215, which was 100 milligram, was the max you could give somebody in a dose. And then it went, when it went Prop 64, it went down to 10. And I remember candy bar companies and gummy companies, and they couldn't get the consistency through, through their product. Um, you know, your space, your category that you exist in is a highly sought after, usually a higher profit margin, limited category. There's not a lot of, I mean, you have some competitors, but there's not a ton of them like there is in vape. Well, actually, there's a lot of them, but the difference is it depends what you do. Yes, it could be a higher uh, profit margin if you're buying isolate, distillate, right? That, but I buy the plant. If you know, my VP of sales was one of my best uh, farmers that I used uh, for years and years using his high quality super silver haze and all his beautiful indica. And um, now we're required, we are teaming up with some of the best uh, cultivators in the business to bring in the best medicine. Because if it's not in the plant, I can't make it happen. Our process isn't like a CO2 where you just keep pushing more stuff through the hopper. If it's not in the bag of trim, sugar, popcorn, uh, it is just not there. There's no way that I can increase the dosage. It has to be, the quality has to be in the, in the cannabis to start with. So it is a little, it is a little different. It costs a lot more. Uh, the profit margins, thank God, even my investors understand that the quality of medicine and the need for compassion still is more important than profits. Not that profits aren't important, but we're not in taking any investment from anyone who does not understand that the quality of the medicine has to come first and that a portion of it has to go back to the community. That's so, really huge. That's really huge to be, you know, not, not, I really feel that everybody, that anybody that has a cannabis brand needs to have a cause marketing component, whether it's donating it back to patients, helping out people. There's a ton of people that are still doing large amounts of time for the plant, you know, and now we got these Wall Street guys jumping in and, and look, I'm indifferent. This is, I, I've done a ton of different businesses. Um, I was in the surf and skate industry where big money was the fear and everybody didn't want to let it in. And, you know, it just has to be controlled. I mean, and you made the statement that you're not going to work with anybody that doesn't understand that. And that's where the biggest mistake gets usually made is that people take money from firms or from individuals that have conflicting viewpoints, but you're so desperate for the capital that you concede and think that you're going to be able to pull off what you want to pull off without having been transparent about that up, up front. And then that's where you end up having problems. So it's super important lesson that you just gave people real quick there, which is when you're looking for investment, make sure you take the time to find the investor that fits you because it's not always the case. There's a ton of money out there. I mean, when we were raising money for Cannabis Club TV, we would literally tell people, I don't think you're a fit. You don't understand what we're doing. You know, it's like, I don't, there's investors that give you their money and that's their input. And then there's people that give you their advice and their money. And those ones are a little bit more difficult because it's hard to, it's hard to have people see the same thing that you see. And that, I think that's the, I think a, my prediction is, you know, cause we're pre here, pre investments and pre success. I think when we come back in six months, seven months and this things, we're back out in the world cautiously. Um, I think you're going to be very successful, but I think 
you're going through the right steps and you're, you're making sure that it fits for you, you know, and you've got people around you. And I know Brian's right there, like that are going to help protect you. Not necessarily, you don't need to be protected, but another set of eyes and ears and feel to make sure that you're doing the right thing. And, and I'm just super stoked to, to be able to have somebody from Santa Cruz have that, you know, kind of perception of wanting to make sure that you stay true to the plant because as humans, you know, we do this with everything. You look at sugar, you know, sugar comes from high fibrous things and we concentrate it down and it's not good for us like that at those levels. And so I kind of feel the same thing with the plant. I feel like when you ingest too many terps or when, if everything's not balanced, when you're taking into your body, you're not going to have a balanced reaction. You're going to have, I don't think you're going to have an adverse one, but it might not even work. That's kind of why I've just stuck to flower and or companies like your own where I know I can trust the process because some of these people out there are just snake oil salesmen. You know, they're just pumping product out just to make money. And unfortunately people are, are gullible to that, you know? And so it's really important that you take that tack. And I, I just want to say thank you for doing that. Thank you. We've been really blessed. We had a, we've been looking for a new building for the last five years and we are realtor. When I looked at it, the brand new building came on the market, I was, they were like, Oh, this isn't for rent. It's for sale. Boom. An investor came in to rent it to us. Great karmic, amazing person. All the people that have joined my team at a management level, the best people you can have. I think it's really who you surround yourself with as well as being true to the plant because we cannot treat this plant as a commodity. It's medicine. And really that's where I come from. And I have to surround myself with people that believe that it is a medicinal plant and we're keeping it that way. I don't really, I'm not inventing anything. I'm just keeping a, a standard traditional herbalist view on medicine making continue. It's just so refreshing to hear that because you know, so it, unfortunately it has become a commodity and so therefore it's always been a commodity but it's always been a commodity that was traded with compassion i mean everybody yes. that i've always dealt with in the space it's kind of like food before we decided to make food a commodity food was given eggs were traded people if they had uh, livestock they'd trade their meats they'd trade their milks people that was our currency it was the commodity of what we grew and you know sometimes the plant turns into a ticker symbol on the stock exchange and people forget the medicinal properties. I mean, that's the reason why I got involved. Um, I left, you know, tons of opportunity to, to come into the cannabis space to tell stories like your own um, because I felt like the stigma that was behind people's perception of the plant um, needed to be changed. And it's funny, it's changing. I'm seeing it change and I'm seeing it change generationally up to older people as well as younger people. And, and I feel like, I feel like we've got our, you know, there's always going to be outliers that cause problems, right? That are not, they don't have the same viewpoint or same thinking. And you can't almost waste your energy with those people. You just have to let them do their thing and stay focused on your stuff. And so as we sit and talk here and towards the latter part of April, 2020, which was supposed to be this magnificent Mecca month for cannabis. Um, and we're all inside doing things digitally. I would love to just put a little thumbtack in time right now and say, you're here right now. You're, you're about to enter your journey. I'm excited to watch that journey. You have great people around you. It's not going to be an easy journey. It's going to be tough, but nothing great is ever easy. 
and uh, you've got the right mindset. And I just, just thank you for taking the time on uh, Cannabis Karaoke today to tell your story. And we will definitely be circling back with you down the road to uh, bring updates to people. Thank you so much, Danny. It was really a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to this edition of Cannabis Karaoke, another kick-ass podcast about all things cannabis. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and our website, CannabisKaraoke.tv. And if you or someone you know would like to be on the show, please hit the book your interview button on the right. Cannabis Karaoke, grab the mic and tell your story.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.